Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the uh, book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. Hear now the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like a rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in their native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Birthdays are a funny thing. It's, a, it's an interesting celebration that... that each year, you are rewarded for making it another year. That's it. That's all you have to do is be alive for another year. And people are like, what's up? Happy birthday. We're so excited that you were born. And we're so excited that you're still alive. And sometimes there are gifts involved. And sometimes there are like, you know, people gather around and like a special dinner and all this stuff. All because you just made it another year. And, you know, when you kind of put it that way, it doesn't seem that impressive, but when you think about how just a century ago, the average lifespan of a human being was uh, uh, less than half of what it is today, uh, it becomes a little more understandable. But then, you know, when you start getting up and you, you start, like, going beyond the average lifespan, it starts getting really exciting. Like, have you ever been present for somebody who was older than 110 years old? Just like bonkers crazy, like, whoa, you've, you've done it. Like, you've done what so many other people, like, didn't do. It's incredible. And now we get to do that with the church, that has made it far longer than the average human lifespan. 
But birth birthdays are a funny thing, a time that we get to celebrate one another. Growing up, uh, my uh, extended family on my mom's side did a lot for birthdays. At least once a month, we would gather together at my granny's house, all, all the, the entire extended family would gather together and celebrate all of the birthdays we had in the family for that month. It was wild. I mean, once a month we'd get together and, and there would be a big cake and everybody would have cards for one another and, and we would just, and, and my granny's house wasn't a very large house. It was a double wide trailer, uh, so not really a house at all, but still uh, a double wide trailer. And all of us would pack in there and just celebrate one another and just, and, and tell stories that we remember about one another. This was particularly true for, for the parents as they would reflect on the life of, who, of the kids' birthdays that were there and they'd talk, tell stories about what they were like when, when uh, they were younger. And it was, it was just like this, this beautiful time. We would eat a big meal together where everybody would bring a dish, kind of like a potluck uh, lunch. And, and it, was just, it was just one of those things where you're like, man, it is good to be alive. It is good to be together and to be celebrated and to be celebrating one another through meals, through this generosity, through just being around one another. Birthdays are a funny thing, but also a thing of hope. And so here's the part where, you know, I'm going to ask, I'm going to make everybody really uncomfortable and ask you to participate. <laughs> Why do we celebrate birthdays? What's the purpose of it? Why do you celebrate birthdays? I, I don't know. Maybe you have your own reason. To be thankful for year. Yes, to be thankful for another year. Absolutely. Why else? Yeah. Yeah, you were born. That's awesome. You're still alive. Great. What else? Why do we celebrate birthdays? Yes, because, because there's cake involved. There's sweets. We want to enjoy that. Yes. What else? What else have you got? Just to be with family. Absolutely. Be with the people that matter. Be with the people that, that care about you and that you care about. Certainly. Yes, birthdays are that opportunity to show that person that they matter to us. However that might be, whether that's being surrounded by family, whether that's cake, whatever that might be, it's showing that person that they matter to us, that they are loved, and that we are glad that they are around. Today, we celebrate the birthday of the global church. And unfortunately, we don't have any cake. I'm sorry, Becky. We, we don't have any cake uh, to celebrate. We, we don't have all the balloons and the party favors and all that kind of stuff, but we are together, and that counts for something. Today, we celebrate the birthday of the church, the day of Pentecost. And Pentecost is, is just a, an, an old word that's been carried on that just means the 50th, which is the 50th day after Easter, However, it's also, uh, its derivation doesn't come from 50 days after Easter. It actually comes from something even older than Christianity itself. It comes from a Jewish tradition, the Festival of Weeks. The Festival of Weeks was a time about 50 days after Passover. So these things kind of line up. Jesus' death and resurrection was just after Passover, and then we had Pentecost 50 days later. The Festival of Weeks comes 50 days after Passover. The Festival of Weeks was a time that, uh, that a tradition that came out of uh, the harvest, celebrating the harvest. 
that this was a time in which we celebrated the first fruits. We praised God for what God was doing. This celebration in Jewish tradition was often a reminder and or renewal of the Noahic covenant, to the covenant that God made with Noah, that God was going to provide, that God was going to provide for human beings on the earth. You might remember some of the, uh, some of the points of, of Noah's story. You know, there's, there's this uh, olive branch that gets returned uh, to the ark after they finally get on dry land. They have this big celebration from all the bounty of the earth that they could find. And so the Festival of Weeks was a tradition in the life of Jews in which they would gather together and celebrate the harvest, celebrate that God had provided for another year that God had provided for another year. You start to see these birthday correlations, there's going to be a bunch of them. And so as we, as we look at the story that Acts paints for us, we, we pick up on a couple of these things. The first, off, first thing is that uh, starting, with, uh, starting with verse 1, um, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. They are the disciples. They're still in Jerusalem. It's, uh, it's been quite some time since the whole resurrection account and everything and, and, and Jesus has ascended and they're in Jerusalem and they're like, what now? So they've been doing the one thing that Jesus told them to do, pray for the Holy Spirit to come. And so that's what they've been doing in this room. They've been praying for, for however long it's been since Jesus has ascended. They've been praying for the Holy Spirit to come, to rest upon them, to do something incredible. And fortunately, coincidentally, probably not, God probably had some very strong intentions here, the Holy Spirit decides to show up on the day in which we had a lot of people in Jerusalem, the Festival of Weeks, where people from all over, as far as they could come, show up in Jerusalem for this festival. See, verse 5, now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem for the festival of weeks, for the celebration of the harvest. And, and it, the list that Acts has provided for us does truly show the spread of, of where all of these are coming from. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia. Okay, so we have that region covered. Uh, Judea, all of Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, Pontus and Asia, so we, we have the west covered, now we have the east covered. Uh, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and uh, parts of Libya, so we're, we're starting to see the southern areas coming up there, uh, parts of Africa there. And visitors uh, belonging to the Cyrene and visitors from Rome, Cretans and Arabs. So now we have even Europe is included in this and uh, then we have other places uh, just north of this area. So, so the, the entire area surrounding Jerusalem, people have come and gathered in this place. And it's just the perfect opportunity for the Holy Spirit to show up. And the Holy Spirit, wow, the Holy Spirit does show up in some incredible way. In such an incredible way that some of the people who have gathered around because they've heard this massive noise, because they've, they've, they, they, like there are people yelling or whatever, and they can understand in their native, native tongue, these people gather together and some of them say, look at these crazy people, they're drunk. And, and I, I love that Peter has to like defend, defend the disciples by saying, these aren't drunk, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. 
You really think we're going to get drunk that early? We're waiting until it hits nighttime. Don't worry about it. We're, this, is, this is something that's actually happening, and he calls their attention to, to something that's pretty incredible. But, but I love that what the onlookers say, they say, they are filled with new wine. This is in verse 13. But others sneer, sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. Right, and so Peter takes this as this whole, they're drunk kind of thing. But I love the, the allusion back to one of Jesus' parables. Perhaps you remember the new wine and old wineskins. It's this parable that's talking about how you don't put new wine in old wineskins. Why? Because the wineskins are going to burst, and then you've just lost all of your wine. It's just a foolish thing to do. But this, this, uh, this little passage here harkens to that, Jesus saying, new wineskins. And when he's talking about new wineskins, he's talking about the importance of, of this new movement that's going on. That, that this Jesus movement, if you will, this new movement of reinterpreting the old tradition. Right? Whenever this parable of new wine and old wineskins comes up, Jesus is kind of critiquing the Pharisees in the way that they've just kind of become these, like on the outside they look like they're all right, but then whenever you start, putting, whenever you start dealing with the inside, you realize they're going to fall apart. And so with this, uh, with this piece thrown in here, Luke makes this beautiful connection. Luke, who is the author of Acts, that is. Luke makes this beautiful connection that says, look, the new wineskins are here. This is the new way. New wine is among us, and it's going to do incredible things. It's not, not really have to do anything about with uh, getting drunk on new wine. It's more of hearkening back to this parable that Jesus taught about. that's saying there's something more incredible that's to come, and it's going to completely revitalize the way that we think about our faith. And it's the Holy Spirit. So, so we have so much that's going on here in Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has come. And the Holy Spirit came in a rush, but it wasn't an unwelcomed rush. The disciples had been praying for the Holy Spirit. You might recall uh, before, uh, before Jesus had even been crucified, there was this conversation he had with the disciples. You see this particularly in John chapter 15 and 16, I think, uh, in which uh, Jesus says, you know, I'm, I'm about to have to go away. Crucified, dead resurrected, ascended, all that sort of stuff. But don't worry, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, Jesus says. I'm sending you an advocate, the Holy Spirit, a teacher who will accompany you and be with you. And in this, uh, in this process, Jesus breathes on them. I'm not sure what that was like if he was actually like, <sighs> or if, there was, if this is just an analogy for the Greek word pneuma, which gets translated as spirit and or breath. Uh, but Jesus breathes on them. And you would think that's the moment in which the Holy Spirit comes, but it's not. This is just Jesus preparing the disciples for the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit shows up, it's earth-shattering, right? It's, it's this rush of wind, and I don't know, they're, they're, it describes these tongues of fire. That sounds pretty terrifying if all of a sudden you have like this flame that's burning above you. I'm not sure really what it looked like, but that's what I picture like a campfire on your head or something like that. It's a pretty crazy scene that's going on here, but this is what happens when the Holy Spirit shows up. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit shows up. And, and, and I wish we had, uh, I wish that the lectionary gave us the full passage of Acts chapter 2, but that would be very long. But Peter goes into this sermon about who Jesus is, and he goes on and on and on. And then after Peter's sermon is over, Thousands of people come together and say, we want this. We want to be a part of this. This is, what it, this is what we've been missing in our life. 
They might have been from all over the globe, but they decide to stay right there and start the first church, all because the Holy Spirit showed up, because that's what happens when the Holy Spirit shows up. That's what happens when we pray and ask for the Holy Spirit. God delivers. You might recall there have been uh, plenty of other parables in which Jesus says the whole, ask in my name and it will be given to you. This, uh, these points aren't just referring to ask for whatever you want. God, I would love a new car. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of a sudden a new car shows up. No, no, no. This is referring to the Holy Spirit. Ask in my name, Jesus says, for the Holy Spirit and it will be given to you. In other parables, Jesus says, if, if you who are wicked know how to give good gifts, how much more will God give you the Holy Spirit, God who is abundant in love? So, so the disciples have asked for the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit delivers. God delivers on the Holy Spirit. And it's this moment in which we celebrate, celebrate the birth of the church. In our very own tradition, the United Methodist Church, we have a very strong connection to Pentecost. Uh, for those of you who uh, might have seen the United Methodist Church's logo before, it's a simple cross, black cross, and a red flame. Black cross and a red flame, not too unlike this, a little bit less decorated, but a black cross with a red flame. And the black cross, obviously, there's the symbol of Christianity right there. The red flame is meant to symbolize the Holy Spirit. That this, our tradition, is one that is meant to be infused with the Holy Spirit. The cross and flame logo was adopted in 1968 upon the, uh, the formation of the United Methodist Church, the, the merger between the Methodist Episcopal Church and the United Brethren. And whenever they merged this church, it became the largest Protestant denomination uh, that, that the world had ever seen in this moment, this moment of movement by the Holy Spirit. And so the, the, the flame was included with the cross to symbolize that we are a people, a people who are molded by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit birthed the first church on this day of Pentecost little less than 2,000 years ago. Uh, historians estimate this is around 30 CE. So we'll get to celebrate two millennia in the year 2030-ish, somewhere around there. We'll say 2030 and make it fun. And so the Holy Spirit birthed the church, the global church. We also, in our own tradition, see how the Holy Spirit birthed the United Methodist Church out of this very same notion. Imagine for a moment what might happen if our church, Spring Hill Avenue, United Methodist Church, started praying for the Holy Spirit, earnestly praying for the Holy Spirit to show up, I want, I want you to just, just consider the possibilities. Maybe it's something small. Maybe it's something grand. But I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit rarely shows up in a very small way. So I'm, I'm banking on grand. But this is the thing. The church, the people of the church have to want to invest in what the Holy Spirit is doing. And as we've seen over the past 2,000 years, whatever the Holy Spirit is doing, the Holy Spirit is doing it through the church. Yes, through people as well, individuals, but through the church proper. And so we, as a people, have to believe in what the church is capable of as we are called to pray for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Curiously, 
we have been seeing the decline of the church, the global church, more so the church in the West, uh, for many decades now, since about the 1960s, late 1960s, early 1970s, really, the United Methodist Church was at its peak whenever it merged with the United Brethren Church, when the Methodist Episcopal Church merged with the United Brethren Church. Uh, so 1968, that was like the peak. And since then, it's just been on the steady decline. And, and so often, every single generation and I mean every single generation that has gone through the church has blamed this decline on its generations below it, which is like this horrible irony that, that I personally feel, but, but it's true. I mean, look at every single generation. Uh, I'm a millennial, and millennials right now have this war with Generation Z uh, going on. If you're on social media, you might have picked up on this kind of war that's going on where we're just like, Generation Z is the worst, and they're going to do the same thing to the generation after them, just as the generation before us did the same thing to us because we just can't stand all the change and all the things that people do that's weird. And so for, for decades now, we've been blaming younger generations on the decline of the church whenever we've failed to accept responsibility on our own of how we've contributed to the decline of the church. It's not because people stopped showing up to church that the church is in decline. People stopped showing up to church because the church stopped seeking the Holy Spirit. I want to let that sit for a minute. People stopped showing up to church because the church stopped seeking the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about it. In the life of the United Method in, in the life of Spring Hill Avenue United Methodist Church, just consider how often do you hear the Holy Spirit talked about? Like on a realistic statistic here, I don't know, like out of 100%. My estimate is probably about 20%. 20% of, of church services, we include the Holy Spirit in uh, some, some kind of formative, in some kind of impactful role. That's not a lot of percent. The Holy Spirit has been dramatically neglected in the life of the church for far too long, decades even. We've stopped seeking the Holy Spirit, and we've started seeking our own methods. Oh, yes, we are the people called Methodists. We've started seeking our own methods of how we could improve things, and we've started putting little gimmicks into church, and we've started saying, this is what needs to happen for the church to flourish. This is what needs to happen in order for younger generations to want to come to church. I'll tell you right now, people, as a millennial, I love church, and I'm not alone. <laughs> Gen Z, people, the generation that is, that is just behind me, they love church. They want to be in church, and it's not church with all the gimmicks. It's church where they experience the movement of the Holy Spirit through the people caring for one another, through the people supporting one another, through the way that they interact with their community. So we, we, we end up with, uh, with this question right here, where we are in 2021, after everything that we've been through, after everything that, that our nation and our world has seen in the past couple of years, really in the past decades, does the church still matter, or is it irrelevant? Because that's, that's what it looks like it's teetering on. We've been in decline for so long. And the, easier, the easy answer to this question, does the church still matter, is yes. We want to say, yes, the church still matters. But let me ask you to look at the way that we are living. The way that we are living our lives. Do our lives represent the church still mattering. For instance, in the past decade, 
Sunday activities have increased exponentially. It is unreal how many activities now happen on Sundays. Sundays used to be a, a sacred, holy day. Nothing happened on Sundays. Now you, you can't be on a sports team without there being practice on Sundays. You can barely be part of any organization without there being something on Sundays that you have to participate in. Now, Please don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that, they, that, we, that you know, if you have kids and you want them to play sports, that, that, that you shouldn't let them play sports because they're going to have practices on Sunday. What I'm saying is that the church needs to be aware of this and say, how do we make the church something worthwhile in our community? Because guess what? People are joining sports teams for the community. People are joining these organizations for the community, for the way that it invests in them and the way they're able to reinvest in something else. Where is the church doing that, my friends? Another uh, question. What about the average attendance of worship? A uh, recent survey came out that was talking about the, uh, how, how uh, Christianity is no longer the majority of people living in the United States. In the same survey, uh, they were looking at, at, at uh, people who attended church and how often they felt like they needed to attend church in order to be considered a regular member. A regular member. Can you guess what people said? How, how frequently you had, have to attend church to be considered a regular member? Twice a year. Twice a year? That's, what, that's what the majority of people said they did attend. Uh, six, uh, every six weeks. Every six weeks. That's every month and a half. That's, so that brings us to about somewhere between uh, eight to ten times a year. Eight to ten times a year, and people would say, yeah, I'm a regular uh, member of a church. I'm not going to say that that's wrong, but I'm going to say that, that where we put our priorities is certainly going to say whether or not the church still matters or whether or not the church has become irrelevant. Another question, think about missional activity in the life of churches these days. There are hundreds of nonprofits that are starting up all the time. And these nonprofits are starting up to fill a void that the church wants satisfied, to care for the community. Once upon a time, the church was the community hub of every single community in this nation. The church was the place, no matter who you were, no matter if you were even a Christian, you knew you could go to the church if you needed something, if you were, oh my goodness. All right. Ooh. Yes. Woo. Spirit is moving. My goodness. All right. Woo. I know it. <laughs> Thank y'all. Okay. Wow. <laughs> jump right into it. Jump right back into it then. <laughs> try, try to do a nice recovery from that. And so we look back at the, at the way that the church cares for one another in the community, and all of these nonprofits are having to fill a void that the church is no longer satisfying. 
Yes, communities have gotten larger, and it's far more difficult for a single church to take care of the entire community. But as churches have gotten larger, so too have we seen, I mean, as communities have gotten larger, so too have we seen the number of churches in an area get larger. We have the capacity to continue to take care of the community if only we are willing to invest in our missional activity. And then the last one is the most uncomfortable for me to talk about personally, and that's generous giving. Where your treasure is, there your heart will lie also, Jesus says. And we can tell if the church still matters or if the church has become irrelevant based on generous giving. Giving in the life of the, global, in the, of the church in the West, and I have to keep saying the church in the West because churches in Africa and East Asia are thriving right now. They're doing incredible stuff right now. The church in the West, not so much. Generous giving in uh, the church in the West continues to be on a decline actually more quickly than membership in the life of the church because we have started to reshape our priorities, the things that matter to us. And so when it comes to the question about does the church still matter or has it become irrelevant, it's not a question of whether or not the church still matters to the people out there. It's a question of whether or not the church matters to the people right here. If the church does matter, and I hope that I'm making people uncomfortable because that's the only way that change occurs, the only way that the church will continue to matter is if it starts to matter right here at home. If we start to say this is something worthwhile. If we decide it's not something worthwhile, fine. The Holy Spirit will continue to move. But the Holy Spirit started this movement with the church. I think the Holy Spirit would like to see it conclude with the church. And so I want us to remember once more what we talked about when it comes to celebrating birthdays. It's about showing someone that they matter to us. It's a form of investing in that person, saying that your existence for another year is important to us. The fact that you are still around for one more year means something to us. Can we say the same about the church? It's the church's birthday. And so on this day, my challenge to each and every one of us, myself included, is to invest in the life of the church. Invest in the life of the church. Believe in what the church is capable of doing in our world. Because just, just because the church was doing awesome things back 2,000 years ago doesn't mean that it can't still do awesome things today. It can, and it is doing awesome things today. My goodness, if you had just an opportunity to glimpse the life of the church in East Asia, in Africa, in places like this, it's astounding the way that communities are coming together to support one another, particularly in the most impoverished areas. It's astounding to see how the church wants to show up for people. The church is still active in our world. The Holy Spirit is still moving and working through the church in our world. But for some reason, the church over here in the West has started to say that the church and the activity of the Holy Spirit through the church doesn't matter quite as much as maybe something else, as maybe it once did. Or perhaps we say it's not our responsibility anymore. Perhaps we say that it should be passed on to someone else, maybe another generation, maybe just to anybody else who would rather do this other than me. But I hope that each and every one of us might recognize on this 
Pentecost Sunday, that the church still has something to give to our community, that Spring Hill Avenue United Methodist Church still has something to give to the Mobile community and to our global brothers and sisters. And if we believe that, then let us start praying for the Holy Spirit. Let us ask for the Holy Spirit, and my goodness, I guarantee you that God will deliver. Let us be a church that embodies the cross and flame once more, that says the activity of the Holy Spirit in our church means something, and we're not going to neglect it. Let us be a people who take the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit with us everywhere we go to the point that it confuses people and they don't understand what's going on because that's how the church was born. That's how the church exploded in growth exponentially beyond our wildest imaginations and that's how the church is going to thrive if we let it matter to us, if we invest in it, if we ask for the Holy Spirit. So let us pray.